Bye. Hi, people. Good morning. Hey, Will. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. good. How are you? Very well, thank you. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey, Jolie. <laughs> good. I just wait for one more minute before I want to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Have you had your breakfast, coffee? <laughs> Just warm water. Warm water for you. Yeah, but I have had coffee earlier. But yeah, mm -hmm. you? You eat? Water. <laughs> I just had a class earlier. The class just ended like um, five minutes ago. So, <laughs> uh, so you're still recovering. Mm -hmm. But all is good because I get to talk with you. Cool. Well, thanks mm -hmm. for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I'm so honored to have you um, for this session. Um, so just a quick background, Yoga Daily is actually a podcast that I have, um, I think, since last year. Um, it is in Spotify, it is in uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It is basically a conversation that I have with people who are really, really inspiring, um, the people that I've chanced upon, um, and sharing their knowledge with the people I know, right? Because... Um, Yoga is all about um, expanding that consciousness together, right? Um, sure. So yeah, <laughs> so really, really thankful that you are uh, here with us today. And because of the circumstances that we are in right now with MCO, um, so we're going to take this live, which is amazing. I've always wanted to um, have one session with you and what better way to do it live, right? <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. From the comfort of our own homes. <laughs> exactly. So um Okay, I think let's begin. So thank you everyone for joining in. If you guys have any question, um, that's like a um, box at the corner or at the bottom of your screen where there's like a question mark, you can tap that uh, icon and put in your question while we are um, chatting. So feel free to um, ask any of your questions for real. Um, and let's begin, right? So Will, can you quickly just introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Will. Mm -hmm. Hi. <laughs> Uh, um, background you mean or what have you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always tell people when they ask me about if, if what I do, I tell them I'm a, I'm a pet psychologist. <laughs> I think it's a little, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, background information is probably like everybody else. At one point, I worked another job um, and then eventually you know, started practicing yoga. But um, <clears throat> For me, I think that I started more yoga, breathing and meditation stuff when I was quite young, actually. Um, so I don't know how I stumbled upon it. I kind of somehow recollect what your memory is always kind of whatever that um, you know, I was watching some special about monks meditating on PBS or something as a child and thought that was a really cool thing to do. So I started meditating and 
plumbing, doing breathing techniques. I didn't know they were part of yoga. Um, so then, you know, I went through like the rest of my childhood and eventually ended up taking a yoga meditation massage class in college. And so it was like, okay, you know, stretch this arm away from that leg. And I actually didn't really like the yoga part of it too much. I was more interested in the meditation and I like the massage part of it as well. And then kind of put that out of my mind, like most people do. And, you know, you go to, you go to school to like do something. So I was a sociologist and I was like also like pre-law and I moved to New York city and I used to work like at a law firm off of wall street. And then I just kind of thought like, Hey, I need to start doing yoga. And I walked into a yoga studio and, you know, actually I signed up like, like some people do to like do work exchange to work at a desk. So I worked at the desk for like three months and one of the owners was like, you know, you're allowed to take classes too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. So I finally got to take a class and I thought, you know, this is going to be great. Like, you know, we're stretching your left arm away from your right arm. And at the time, um, Vinyasa wasn't, I mean, it kind of is now a little bit again, but Vinyasa wasn't so based on Krishnamacharya's Vinyasa Krama. It was more like an alternative to doing Ashtanga because Ashtanga was mostly taught Mysore style in New York. So it, it was, you know, quite intense for people who didn't practice um, yoga ever, physical asanas anyway. Um, and I wasn't necessarily into Ashtanga or even knew what Ashtanga was. I just, this happened to be a neighborhood yoga studio and I walked in and it was very much based on that and um, I mean I couldn't walk for like a week it felt like I was like Ugh. Um, but at the same time when I was laying down in Shavasana something kind of like clicked in my mind I was like oh this is what I want to do for a while um, so I didn't really approach it like nowadays we sign up for teacher trainings and we want to become yoga teachers that was never my ambition I was like you know I'm going to practice this for a while it seems really interesting but eventually I'll go back to school and do my master's and, you know, continue my education. Um, but it was not something that I really wanted to do. Um, like it wasn't like, I want to teach yoga. And then, um, and that's around the time I met my first guru or my first teacher. Yeah. Who's that? I'm curious to know who's your first, um, or who's a really close teacher that you have that you constantly practice with? Well, I, I've had three or four really close teachers that I've practiced with, and I've taken it pretty serious. Um, I've done initiation with every single one of the teachers. So for people who don't really know what that means, initiation is sort of when you, you, you become inducted into the lineage, and um, you're inducted into the lineage, and then the teacher will tell you when you can kind of go and go out in the world and teach if that might be something that you're interested in doing. Um, otherwise, you're really sort of upholding the, let's say, the framework of that lineage. Mm -hmm. So we have to always remember that when we look at <clears throat> the yoga philosophy, which is part of, you know, Sankhya and the other uh, orthodox schools of thought, is that they don't argue on what the goal is. They argue mm -hmm. on how to get there. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm. Like everyone agrees that the goal is like enlightenment or consciousness or whatever it mm. may be. <clears throat> but the, the argument is how do I get there? Is it four steps? Mm. Is it five steps? Is it physically? Is it by, you know, turning my attention inwards? So just like the lineages will also argue, how do we get through this path of yoga? Mm. Right? How is that done? Yeah. I believe so, 
I believe but, the different lineages would then have different ways of getting there, <clears throat> but they all lead to the same path, right? The they might even have the same text. I mean, it's 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 interesting because a lot of times when we talk about Krishnamacharya yoga, and I'll answer your question. I'm getting there, but um, um, when we talk about like you know Krishnamacharya yoga, we tend to you know a lot of Krishnamacharya yoga, and I'm not like putting anyone down. I, I think Krishnamacharya yoga is really quite fascinating. We can get into that in a little bit, but a lot of times there's like an ownership over texts. Right. When the reality is like, you know, the Yoga Sutras was written before any of these modern teachers that we know of were even mm. alive. So they also studied those texts. Mm. Right. And just like, you know, Buddhist scriptures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, in some ways, like a lineage is sort of it's almost like a viewpoint of how we get there. Mm. Right. And so some people will carry that viewpoint on and on and on and on and on. So we can say that, you know, in this lineage framework is this i mean and it tells you in the name which we don't really realize is that when we look at someone and they have like a da, 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 such ananda like in the ananda is is indicative that they are a shaivite practitioner so they mm -hmm. practice shaivism and they practice a very particular branch of shaivism that was codified by shankacharya so they believe that you are not the body you are not the mind and the only thing that's important is the spirit mm. right Mm -hmm. Whereas like a, like a Tirthu Swami is a, is a Vishnu-related Swami, and they believe that you're not the mind and you're not the body. However, your living experiences can influence your relationship with your soul consciousness. And those are two different things, same mm -hmm. philosophy. Yeah. So, so how you look at it is quite different, right? But my first teacher was Dharma Mitra. That was my first guru that I studied with. So I was initiated by him, I think, in 2003-ish, um, around that time. And, you know, when you go through your initiation, you take on a name change and you uphold certain practices that exist within uh, mm. that framework. Now, the thing is, is what a lot of people don't realize is that your guru, your guru sissia relationship, the relationship between the teacher and the student is supposed to do this tightening and lightening. What it means is that you become more connected through the spiritual realm, if you will, but your relationship gets lighter. Mm. So your time with them actually gets less and less and less and less and less as you progress through the practice unless you are living with them like as an ordained you know uh, in a monastic uh, setting mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. otherwise your relationship should get like this not like this and then they some of they some sort of become like a mentor to you or someone that you seek guidance when you need right rather than an ongoing practice it's yeah, exactly. It depends on how they approach it. So, for instance, when I was doing my initiatory practices with my first guru, you're supposed to practice at certain times of the day and do certain mm -hmm. things. And then you would kind of like write to them and say, you know, hey, here's what's kind of going on. Um, and this seems like kind of a silly thing, but not many people I know that don't practice yoga for a period of time start to feel some type of, you know, emotional constraint, if you will, because you're doing so much internal work that your microcosm becomes so important that it's hard to justify things that happen in the macrocosm. So we have this ideology of um, uh, in my yoga life, things are perfect, but outside of yoga, they're not so amazing. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so that, yeah, so that construct is not really is not really dealt with a lot in modern yoga times, whereas prior you would talk to your guru mentor or mother to work those things out does that make sense yeah i yeah. i definitely feel the difference of the
that's my dog, by the way. The, um, the, <laughs> I definitely feel the difference of how um, yoga philosophy is being taught in the old, like, I wouldn't say olden days, but many years back versus now, because right now, a lot of the yoga is focused, fo yoga that is being taught out there focuses on asana. Yeah. So, which comes to my next question. Sure, sure. Which is here, it's on the screen. So, how can we expand our consciousness beyond just asanas, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, the simple question is to do other mm -hmm. practices of yoga, right? I mean, that's a simple mm -hmm. answer to it. It's like, if we want to build our our uh, awareness beyond asana, be, be beyond the yoga asanas, uh, we do other things. You know, we practice other pieces of the technique. I mean, most people that get into any studying in yoga are usually thrown straight at the yoga sutras. And the first thing that almost every teacher training program says, there are eight yoga sutras, yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharma, dhyama, and there are. But if we look at the Patanjali's yoga sutras, within the first three lines, we learn that yoga is chitta viti nodaha, right? So that we have that yoga is no longer having a fluctuation of the mind. And then the third, uh, the third section, the third uh, sutra is essentially, this is what concentration looks like. Mm. There's no mention of yoga asanas, there's no mention of pranayama, there's no mention of anything except for dharana, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, first it says, let, let's let yoga begin. So if we, if we look at that in a more contextual piece, it would be like me saying, you know what? I'm coming to you to work with you, Jennifer. I've tried all these other things in the world because I'm not able to make sense of my world and my inner worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever Through whatever that may be. Maybe I'm just struggling. Maybe I don't understand how I have to work so much or I'm having a hard time like, with, with relatability to people or in my own you know, personal viewpoints of the world, of the government, or et cetera, et cetera, right? So now I'm gonna try yoga because nothing else seems to be working mm. right and so okay then you'll tell me hey well, i'll be like well, what is yoga and you say well yoga according to patanjali is chitta vritti nirodha right is that when my chitta vritti my mental mind frame is no longer fluctuating you're in a state so now i have an idea i'm like wow so when my mind is consumed with things that's mental fluctuation therefore i'm not in a state of yoga which could mean that even if I'm conflicted with different things about yoga, that's still chitta vritti, mm -hmm. right? And then he says, okay, let's look at what concentration is because it's an antidote to the previous things. The, all yogic texts, most or most yogic texts or things like that, they start off with what the solution is first, and then it works you backwards through all the problems, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, if but I'm looking at, yeah. go ahead, sorry. Yeah, continue. So if I'm looking at like, well, how yoga, um, you know, and sort of, so the, the question that I'm seeing here is like, you know, how do I apply yoga chitta vritti nirodha in everyday life? Well, that's a difficulty thing because you are not necessarily trying to use yoga chitta vritti in everyday life until you learn to work with it in your practice, mm -hmm. right? So if I, if I take this question in the previous one, one of the ways that I can expand my consciousness is to practice other things. If the asana deals with the physical body, it makes you physically steady, straight, engaged energy, then how is it that people who can do a multitude of like handstands and all these arm balances can't sit still for a little while? Mm -hmm. Right, because it's just tackling the physical energy. It's not tackling the energy within the physical energy. That's why you need things like pranayama, which is monitoring your prana, right? 
prahena are the first most basic unit of measured energy, and we're ayama, lengthening them. So it's not necessarily breathing in and out. So, but when we do listen to the energy, we realize like a component. It doesn't take yoga to realize that there is something inside of you that is mm -hmm. making all the mechanics work. Mm -hmm. And when that yeah. thing goes away, this goes away, right? Yeah. So we are going to apply yoga, chitta, vritti, or nirodaha in everyday life. We're asking for something that is potentially stationary in the beginning to become movable. It's like saying, how do I sit still and meditate, but have some type of transportation device that wields me through the world? Mm. I don't know if that's possible, right? I'm not saying it's in the beginning, I'm not saying it's possible. But once I've developed this framework of concentration, I can focus on what I'm concentrating on and what I'm not concentrating on. And this is where we get into the division of what is real and what is not real. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's yeah. why this question is a great question. How do I use, you know, yoga, shitta, vritti, nirodha in everyday life? Well, yeah. I'm not okay. sure life is made to uh, support that. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're trying to say, um, what you're saying as well, because um, a lot of times, a lot of people, when they try to practice yoga, um, they're in this state of mind where they feel that asanas are, yeah, like whatever you mentioned, is very physical. And sometimes yoga asanas are um, somewhat same with something that people practice in different forms of fitness, for example, spinning, sure. handstands, and whatever. And whatever that they are practicing, if that brings them to that state of mind of getting that physical consciousness and then matching that with their breath, um, somehow finding that cease in fluctuation of the mind, then somehow you're already practicing yoga without using without you know the yoga postures the warrior one and warrior two sure. right which shows automatically that there's a limitation to yoga right and, <laughs> exactly. and that's and that's the thing that people have a little bit of difficulty understanding is that you know yoga is an approach like if i have to you know like that's why i said i don't really call myself a yoga teacher like I, if anything i'm a yoga educator um, but if i'm trying to like look at what i do in the world like i i would like to think that i help people that's my my avenue is like i'm a people i'm a helper of people humans and i use yoga to do that right mm -hmm. but when we look at asanas like just from a more scientific viewpoint because yoga is actually more scientific than it is philosophical mm -hmm. is that when i look at yoga asanas as i do them i become better at doing them mm -hmm. right so yeah so if i but if i look at but if i look at the energetics, the more I do them, the more intense they get. Mm. So, um, so, this, the, so the effect this, on the this, physical body yeah. and the effect on the subtle body yeah. are, you know, are different. Um, they're different races. They're different. They're, like, uh, one's a foot race can, and you know, one's long distance. How can we tap into that energetic body? How can we feel the energetic consciousness? Um, like not many people can feel the effect at the end of their practice versus some people who are more tapped into that inner consciousness or um, feeling that, that energetic uh, uh, effect at the end of their practice or during the practice. So this is something that a lot of students find um, difficult when they're practicing and they constantly um, focus on the pain or how hard it is, right? Which is, which is linked to this question, what is theorem Sukhamasana and how can we link that in our practice? Yeah, I think that there's two things going on here, though, for me, like from that question. One is like the idea that, you know, um, we are starting at a negative, 
you know, and that's one of the issues is like when we look at the concept of this, this concept of zero, which is, you know, uh, really born out of the Indus River Valley and which we later, you know, call India and all these other areas. Um, you know, it, it's like saying, what's, what are you missing? And I'm not sure that the what are you missing part is actually like appropriate because it's like saying that somehow because I do yoga and that this person down the street doesn't do yoga, that I'm somehow more evolved or enlightened or clear or a better person or I'm kinder or I have more spirit than someone else. But in reality, if we look at the, the governing philosophy, there is consciousness and consciousness out of whatever, sankalpa or will or whatever you want to call it, created, you know, the elements. So anything that I perceive in the elements, including yoga, is subject to failure because it has a shelf life. So to tie back into yoga's chitta vritti in everyday life, we have to realize that consciousness is beyond all of these particular things. So if we take that approach with yoga, the asana doesn't really matter as that much, and, but also neither does all the other things because they're sort of like reminders. Re think of it this way, like if you're already conscious and I'm already conscious, then what's the issue? The issue is that you don't remember that you're conscious or that you have a hard time keeping your energy on consciousness. So therefore yoga is potentially not the answer for all people, right? It's whatever develops the relationship with their self-consciousness. And I mean self-awareness, not becoming self-conscious, like the thoughts you have in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. So if we approach it a little differently, I think that you'll find even every student has some awareness of the energy within inside of themselves, right? And to take them back, you know, I mean, this is where we're getting to like teaching. Uh, and, uh, and it's also potential that, you know, all teachers can't teach all students. So I would like to throw this out there for the, for the, for the student is like, you know, the students will find the right teacher and the teacher will have the right students in the classroom. Like that's, if you want to call something karma, that's karma, right? It's like you work with who's there. And so if the, if the student is, is constantly focused on those particular things, I would have to say it's from the narrative of the teacher because the teacher is giving that narrative. It's like a teacher being like, focus on your breathing, try to calm your mind, but then they talk, 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 talk. How are you going to calm your mind if the teacher's talking all the time? It's mm -hmm. impossible. Yeah. If the teacher doesn't understand the way an asana or a pranayama or a meditation leads to a state of observation, it's hard for them to leave room for that state of observation. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the student is not going to experience that. Sthiram mm -hmm. just means steadiness and ease. It's talked about in all yogic texts, even in the Pribhuka. It says that the asana should be done so the body becomes steady, light, and healthy. That's the goal of yoga, mm -hmm. right? In classical shastra, you're supposed to practice asanas from 35 to 45 to 55 minutes only, depending on the body type. A good measure is that when you start to sweat, you relax. You shouldn't expend more than 40% of your body energy, according to classical texts. We constantly work as hard as we can to earn shavasana rather than to develop some sweat so that we can calm the mind down and then go into the, the um, other pieces of it. And, yeah, I personally noticed this has been more of the shift right now in, in, this, in this era where our classes are 100% you know, energy and then we, we, right. we, we crave for that shavasana so much because the class is just so... Um, Dynamic. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all dynamic. It, I mean, you can make asana a transcendent experience for sure. Because in asana, you still have the kriya, you still have all of the pranayama. When you're sitting, you're sitting to meditate, you're sitting in an asana or a mudra, whatever you want to call it. So all those things exist. Even if we just chant mantra, we are, uh, and I don't mean just, but I'm just saying that it's like a slang from where I grew up. But even if we chant mantra, it is a seated posture. I'm sitting in an asana and I'm watching my breath go in and out. It's about breath control. It's about pranayama. Mm -hmm. It's about energy. Yeah. Does, does this one question that is, I feel, most um, misunderstood or what is yoga, right? So a lot of people have a different understanding of what yoga is. Um, I would say modern world would take yoga as, you know, worry one, worry two, your physical postures. But not many people and not many practitioners truly understand what yoga really is. Um, perhaps a, a bit more on explanation of what yoga is for you yeah that's why i tell everyone i'm a pet psychologist mm -hmm. right it's true because like yoga overall we look at yoga and the first thing people say oh you must be really flexible you know and that's you know but you have to look at like what the the media consumer culture has dubbed yoga you know like you don't really need much for yoga or anything at all. You don't need a special outfit. It even says it in text that people shouldn't be confused by Vesa, by you shouldn't, you know, dressing like a yogi doesn't make you a yogi. Mm -hmm. Reading books about yoga doesn't make you a yogi. Only practice of yoga is, um, let me give you this historical context. Like look at the Vedas, yoga is only described as being a habit. It doesn't say what the habit is. It doesn't say brushing your teeth, you know, using the bathroom every morning or whatever, it doesn't describe what the habit is. And then like 800 years closer to now, it says yoga is a habit, but it includes um, pranayama, right? Not breathing techniques, but pranayama. It's so now we're, and so now like, look at this in a conscious level, like, okay, there's this thing that we can do that's habitual. And then later on people from doing it realize, oh, and it's, it, it's, it involves energy. It involves prana. Prana is not earth, water, fire, air, ether, right? It's beyond elements. So it's cosmic energy and that we can manipulate it inside of our body. Now that's amazing when we're going back six, 7,000 years and someone is, and texts are talking about that. And then we get a little bit closer and it's like, oh, well, yoga is, you know, the witness of this and the energy, but it's also that there's something inside of you that's able to witness so now we have dharma, dhyana, and samadhi, all in that one piece. So mm -hmm. I think yoga personally is uh, an individual's attempt to understand their conscious self. And it's more of a reminder than it is something that you have to learn about, right? We do the practices, whatever they are, because we've done them before. One of my teachers said to me, you know, one time he's like, mantra is not something you learn. Mantra is something that you wrote a long time ago, and now you're remembering what it's all about, mm -hmm. right? So we focus a lot on that. If I tell you to do a forward fold, most people will say, oh, it stretches this part of your body and does this and does this. But if you look at any yoga text, and I don't mean, you know, light on yoga or stuff like that, but a text, it doesn't say anything about those things. In fact, forward folds are not even in any yoga text besides Pashyamantanasana. Yeah. yeah. Right? So they're not even there. 
but mm -hmm. when you actually like do a forward fold and you let your teach your student or even the practitioner like go into the forward fold what happens there you know well, the the biggest the biggest oxymoron in yoga is that you have people who are practicing like, if you look at the old pictures of krishnamacharya and he's doing like trikonasana like this with his feet pointed forward and then all of his students are teaching with the foot like this and this one turned in and the arms out like that it's like it's okay cool he he was supposed to be able to stop his heart from beating for five minutes and then start it back up that's how much bodily control he had right yeah. so but we just follow suit everyone knows you stick a blanket under your butt if you want to forward fold or raise your arms up or so i think that you know we've we've slightly lost the idea that yoga is considered an art the practice of it is an art and so is the teaching of it but like all arts it's a you know evoke some emotion of some sort and the the difference between yoga emotion and potentially artistic emotion is that it should be something that is relative to the soul or the person, ideally. So, would you say that um, yoga is different for every soul? I would say that yoga, uh, the life experience is different. I mean, I can tell you all the things that I've been doing for the last 20 years, but your experience is going to be different than mine. So the only thing that I can manipulate as a teacher is potentially your response to the technique in which I'm giving you. Like if, I, if you teach triangle pose, trikonasana, I teach trikonasana, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. Trikonasana has its own energy. There's no difference between it. The difference that we can make is how we hold detail to the breath, how we hold detail to the physicality, what the time is it, the person that we're looking at and watching them like with so much detail, you know, uh, potentially to get them to go in, in, in a desired direction, if you will, right? So when I see someone do Trikonasana, I'm looking at what all the things are that come next if they desire to do asana, right? All the way down the line. Yeah, so going back to the roots and also reasons of why we're doing it in the first place, tapping yeah. that into yeah. the mind, right? Okay, so um, speaking of like that, um, because sometimes we don't like to say, I, I, I understand you, you don't say that you're teaching yoga, but Sometimes what are your biggest challenges when you're trying to bring into this kind of philosophy into what's your student? How receptive are they? Or um, is it harder to, to bring in this philosophy or comes naturally? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you run into, there's always like, you know, the, the 200, I mean, not as much anymore, but there's always that moment where you, you know, walk into uh, a 200 hour program or a teacher training program or a workshop and I think people um, are used to like um, let's say we're going to do this for two hours and the teacher might talk for five or ten minutes about the philosophy and then it's the same physical practice that you would get in a class and then there's relaxation of some sort and that's it you know mm -hmm. so I think people get surprised when it involves a lot of dialogue you know like mm -hmm. conversation like we're having a conversation now this is also part of yoga. Part of yoga was satsang, was the discussion of things. And it wasn't that we were discussing things so that we could agree upon the way that we get there. It was discussing things that um, would allow us to see that the things in which we're doing do get there. So that's how, like from the previous question, we could use you know, yoga's chitta in life is that our life paths are all gonna look different. 
Otherwise, everyone would be, you know, I woke up one day, I was 10 years old, like you were, and I said, I want to do yoga, right? That's just not how it works. And we have to remember that, you know, you might have, I mean, I don't know your yoga story, you might have gotten to yoga because, you know, you used to practice yoga with a partner, and then the partner, you guys broke up and you kept doing yoga. Another person might have, like, ran a motorcycle into a wall and was in the hospital for three months and got out and started doing yoga. So there's no easy you know, path. It's not the path is not the same. So why do we expect our conscious you know, um, development, if you will, involution, as it's called, to be the same? So our path can't be the same either. It means that some people are going to go deep into practices of yoga and then out of the practices of yoga. And just on that note, I want to you know, also say that Yoga is a state, right? This is a conscious state. It's the same thing as saying nirvana, samadhi, buddhi, um, enlightenment. So nobody does yoga. We do techniques that lead to a state of yoga. Mm -hmm. Asana is not yoga. It's a technique to get to a state of yoga. Pranayama is not yoga. It's a technique we use to get to a state of yoga. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that when we're developing the habit to get to yoga, when you're in that state, then the techniques are no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. So when we get into a classroom, I think sometimes we, we teach a lot about how do you build all of these particular things, not necessarily how do you take them all out of your head because they become chitta vritti eventually as well. Mm -hmm. Right? When you're sitting and meditating and you're thinking about how you should be doing it and all this information is coming in, that's chitta vritti. Even though you studied yoga and you're dedicated to your practice of yoga, it's still chitta vritti, mm -hmm. right? So when we sit with, when I sit with students, I mean, I've also developed that, you know, I mean, like most people start teaching yoga, you start teaching physical postures. And um, I've always, always really interested in pranayama. So when I found out that pranayama was a part of, you know, hatha yoga, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is what I want to, you know, do. So I've always included a lot of, you know, hatha yoga, um, like pranayamas, kriyas, and bandhas mudras in my classes, and the energetic stuff, as well as really physical things in the past, at least not so much anymore, um, because I've, I, I want to you know, make the asana more approachable to people to do the energetics. But um, when we look at uh, a, a class where there's an educational environment, I think a lot of people think that they're going to learn to teach asanas for 10 hours a day. You know, like mm -hmm. that's the approach. And, um, and, the, and that's not a bad approach, but we're just kind of working on the shell rather than all the inner workings of the shell, if you will, mm -hmm. right? That's what the other things do. So the mm -hmm. asana is the physical body, then the pranayama and all the other stuff, you know, all the energetics. So the biggest challenge would be to, um, you know, to uh, uh, talk to someone who is only seeing that the physical postures are part of the yoga practice. And rightfully so, because most of the yoga that we see uh, represented in the world is physical mm -hmm. and it's physical yes. development. People even do, this is me in 2017, this is me in 2020, you know, to show their development. And that is development, but what about this development? And what about like the energetic development inside of the cell? Because we can look better, but have more terrible mind frame. Totally agree. <laughs> because I think um, it is hard to put into a person um, to understand the different the different aspects of yoga right like the kriyas the pranayamas the bandha the mudras um, sometimes mantra and asana is just a small portion of it but a lot of people today crave for the physical 
um, portion of yoga rather than just sure. the whole the whole um, I would say subset that comes uh, collectively to form yoga, and yoga can be in many forms, like right, what you mentioned earlier. And with today, I think there's a lot of different styles of people. What people call yoga is um, so, which comes to the question: you, how do we keep up with um, the different styles of yoga that is offered today, and how can we come back to the root, come back to our consciousness? Right? How can we um, remain true? <laughs> Yeah, I think you have to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty practical person. So, I mean, you know, in Malaysia, it doesn't really matter what type of bum gun you have. It still cleans you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for real, right? If you put a t-shirt mm-hmm. on, it protects you from the elements. It doesn't really matter what kind of t-shirt it is, who made it. You know, exactly. and so I think we have to look at things like that. Yoga is not stylistic. The, mm-hmm. the techniques that are related to yoga is stylistic, mm-hmm. but yoga is a state of consciousness. So no one has branded consciousness, or maybe they have, but it's really irrelevant. Mm. So you know what I'm saying? Do, yeah, no, I understand. So the so lineages, you, you know, there's there are some lineages, and it doesn't necessarily make the lineages better. And and a lot of the lineages that we see in modern times are really just uh, a senior student who. Uh, or, a, or sometimes even just a popular student who is a teacher, who is the student of this particular person. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, initiation is, 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 I'm sure, on an all-time low. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people take teacher training programs, mm-hmm. uh, 200, 300. I mean, I teach those programs. I get it. But one of the first things I tell my students is, like, you know, there's, teacher training programs are, are an illusion. They're not real. I mean, they are real. You learn things and you can go out and start teaching yoga. But it's, it, it's like asking someone to take, you know, this life journey that you're going to go on and somehow synthesize it in about, you know, uh, less than a year. And I don't think that's possible. Does it mean I think that you shouldn't teach? No, I'm not saying that. But, you know, um, just be aware that there's always going to be styles of yoga. We could get off our call right now and say, I'm going to make, you know, real style of yoga. I mean, I have a school it's, uh, that I call Hatha Vidya. And even though I call it Hatha Vidya, which comes from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, it's just the knowledge of Hatha Yoga, which is essentially Raja Yoga. People will always ask, oh, what's this Hatha Vidya style that you teach? And it's like, it's not really, it's not a style. It's an old word that just means Hatha Yoga, right? It's not a style. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I like the idea that, you know, yoga is an approach and people approach it in different ways regardless of what lineage or um, initiation they've done or they have not done. Mm-hmm. And um, you can, I think you can just tell, you know, you can tell people are involved in the idea of actually taking someone to a state of yoga versus mm-hmm. the idea of potentially doing physicality and postures and feeling good. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. Yeah. In fact, that's a great question that almost anyone should ask themselves. Like, do I really want to be in a state of consciousness or do I want to just feel good about my body and the things that I do because you know they can be the same thing for sure but if either one of those questions is a yes then there you have a more well-rounded practice because the asana alone is only going to go so far yeah right but I'm really curious it has to be integrated in some way right that's why we relax a bunch of stressed out yogis you know, wondering uh, how do they, how teaching people relaxation. They're running around teaching 40 classes a week. 
right? So, and this to answer your question, I think a lot of this is also dictated by um, the uh, the way in which we as yoga teachers are taught to teach. Because I remember even teaching in my um, when I was teaching a lot of classes starting out, like people were like, well, you know, we love all the other stuff, but make sure you do the physical stuff. And when someone starts saying that, you know, that's the slippery slope because the, the you can even say, you know. It's the asana that gets them in the classroom. And as soon as you start saying that, when you start like favoring which technique is the better route to the state, then we're, um, we're changing what yoga could actually be. It stops people from doing it's such a big deal that I could be like, hey, did you practice today, Jen? Did you do your sadhana? And you're like, no, 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 Will, I just meditated. And you're like, dude, yo meditation is yoga. Pranayama is yoga. Right? In Buddhism, we get into the mindfulness and the awakened mind. That also would be considered yoga. It's actually unclear whether yoga influenced Buddhism or Buddhism influenced yoga. Right? We see these texts are actually rewritten a lot of times to suit the people that are uh, dispersing those in their populations. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, whatever that is taught is still the same, but it's from, from Buddhism, but it's from India. They are all talking about the same thing. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like a lot of the Eastern philosophies that don't argue on, on uh, what the goal is, they argue on how to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can even look at that. And in, 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 uh, I mean, I was actually reading, listening to a podcast a couple of days ago about uh, Islamic art. And um, I found out that, you know, there's even that aspect in Islam, which is the idea. And it exists in yoga, it exists in Buddhism, it exists in Sufism, it exists in all these other, you know, types of mysticism. One is that there's a group of people who study the text mm. and the texts are meant to govern the way you live in the world. And then there's another group of people who might study the text, but they do the practices so that they can become God. Yeah. Right? So in mm. the branches of Buddhism, you have that as well. You have people who mm. study the teachings of the Buddha to understand the thought of Buddha. And you mm. have people who do the technique to become Buddhi, which is mm. an enlightened Buddha, mm. right? So the goal of yoga still has that as well. But most of the time we teach this text says this, so you do this. But there's all kinds of other rules that we also follow along too. No text said you should be vegan or completely vegetarian or that you should you know, have a rectangle that's made out of you know recyclable rubber and practice on it. No text says about being kind. No text says about you know being an activist. You know, but what texts do talk about is sort of remaining aloof from company, being in society, but not of society, mm -hmm. right? And that is what we look at for keeping chitta vritta, vritti um, when we move into the world, is that if you're trying to live in the world and also be a yogi, that's a very difficult job. But if you're practicing the yoga, you can be of the world, but not in the world, so to speak. Like, you're not trying to keep up with everything that's going on. Mm. It's, right? it's because of, it's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. I'm kind of interested, just because earlier you mentioned that some people don't want to be in a state of consciousness. Why is that so? <laughs> is that subconscious yeah, I mean, like, that they don't want to be conscious? or? <laughs> no, I mean, like, we have to, when I say the word conscious, I'm not saying like conscious and unconscious, because that's obviously like you're awake or you're passed out. But mm -hmm. so just to be clear, when we talk about consciousness, I'm more referring to the idea of being enlightened, right? Because mm -hmm. when we look at this idea, I mean, think about it all the time. You know, it happens right away. You know, we're sitting and doing our asana and the teacher's saying breathe. And then all of a sudden, like, 
you go somewhere and then your mind chimes in and says, oh, you're not breathing, and then you start doing your breathing. But the reality is what just happened is that you went into a state, right? And your mind pulls you back out and says, hey, you're doing that wrong. You should be breathing. So it's hard to go into that state because the state involves dissolving all of the attachments that the sense has. That's why you have pratyahara. It's taking the energy out of the sight, out of the hearing, out of the thinking so that you're residing within. So for some people, that's a very scary experience. And we can't denote, we can't denote that, we can't say that, you know what, that is, you know, it, you'll get over it. Because it's a lot of letting go, right? It's a lot of letting go. And they talk about this in Upanishadic text as well, which is, you know, there is effort, which we can make, but there's also allowing, and they have to meet each other. So consciousness is like, I move and strive for it in potentially my mind and my, you know, being kind or whatever you think that equation is. And I do my techniques to get there too because they shut off my attachment to the things around me and make me focus on internal. But at the same time, consciousness is coming to me, right? It's making an effort to me. It's like tap, 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 tap. Hey, I'm here. Remember, I'm here all the time. And, you know, if we look at this from its, from its framework, then, yeah, I mean, I have inside of me the same thing that is conscious material, just like you do, right? Yeah. It's also it's like, a fragment of the same point. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's always there in you. you. You need to go closer to it, rather, or rather than mm, trying to chase for it, thinking that it's far away. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mixture of the two. I mean, you can go internal, which is why there's a lot of internal focus in yoga. Yoga is quite a, a, a selfish habit, and then it leads to selfish, selflessness, right? It's like, leave me alone. I'm going to go over here and practice. But it should lead to understanding the self. Yeah. And then you become selfless, not selfish, mm -hmm. right? But what we tend to see is a lot more selfishness around yoga, like up yeah. and acquiring and, you know, it's tied into consumerism. We have like, what, $10 billion industry, the yoga industry is worldwide. Yeah. So there's a lot of products, a lot of way you should be thinking. And so with all that money and investment in it, I mean, it's like the you know, U.S. healthcare system, with all that money flowing through it, you'd think that, you know, they could potentially solve a lot more issues than they're solving, right? So why are more people not like, you know, on this conscious trajectory? And I think, you know, personally, I think that there's sort of like this, you know, hierarchical um, uh, disturbances that are caused along the way. Anyone, if they want to, who practices yoga techniques can start to work their way towards a conscious mind frame. Anybody can do it, right? But not everyone can do it. Which leads to my next question. <laughs> what do yeah, you dharma. think is your, what is your dharma? Like yeah. maybe so dharma, some, for some people they might not know what dharma is, then maybe yeah. you can explain that and then share with us. Yes, yeah, so most most Eastern thought, you know, Buddhism included, uh, has this underlying um, uh, framework is called Sanatana Dharma. And essentially in in short it means that we're all born with a purpose or a reason. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that you're, you know, it's because your mom and, you know, uh, dad or your mom and your mom or your dad and your dad, you know, you know, have, have you and that's why you're here. I mean that the energy within you is designed to fulfill things in life. The unfortunate thing is we tend to associate those things with occupation mm. and they're not occupational. They're, they're qualities within the self that we see appear in all things in which we do, right? I mentioned this earlier. It's my belief that my dharma is that I'm here to help people. 
right? So I do that mostly through yoga, but, you know, I do it through just talking to people and having conversations with them as well. And it also means that, you know, because you're doing that, it, your, your dharma is not always on 24-7 either, right? But at the same time, it is on 24-7 because when you're not doing that, when you're, you know, your, your purpose seems to be coming from something else, this is, this is where we get all the uh, adharma features, the sufferings, the difficulties, the, the um, uh, spinning our wheels or whatever it may be, right? Now, matching that up with our, you know, managing our wants and our needs around our dharma is also an important expectation because just because we're moving through life fulfilled doesn't mean the mind can come in and say, you know, you should really be, you know, take this up a level or have more of this or less of that, you know, and that's not necessarily true. Um, I don't think we can, in life, avoid suffering. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, suffering will always be there. Um, but um, I'm also curious, like, how did you found out what your dharma is? Like, from what kind of practice? And well, I mean, I meditate, like I said, a lot from when I was a child and doing mm -hmm. pranayama. So, you know, through that I have. But I've also had, like, you know, teachers that I've worked with who kind of, mm -hmm. uh, sounds kind of weird to say that, sort of specialize in those areas. Mm -hmm. um, and in the last, like, five, six years, I kind of developed my own teeth technique that works with um, finding what's called dharma artha kama moksha which are the push arthas they're the energy of your soul if you will mm. um, so these are the things that when they're in balance it's sort of like the analogy is um, i'm driving to grandma's house and i become so in lost in the drive that i forget what kind of car i'm in how much gas is in the car and how much and what the song is that's even playing on the radio right mm -hmm. so that's the idea that when those things are in balance i'm sort of you know really flowing through life mm -hmm. right whatever is going to come is going to come and i have all the energy to work through those particular things but when i'm struggling to find you know where my purpose meets my self-fulfilling energy or whatever you want to call it then i run into issues and that's quite normal and these are usually very cyclical, you know, like they might come around every three years or two yeah. years or one year. You might find out that every February you get into a new relationship and every December one ends, or you're always moving like every two years on, you know, in April or whatever it may be, right? So those are cyclical impressions that we have in the mind and we can kind of rectify those uh, samskaras with, you know, looking at our purpose at our dharma. So yeah, for me, I've just found um, uh, I used to always tell my, it's a little less appropriate now, but I used to always tell my students, it's like, you, you find all kinds of amazing things when you practice yoga during the commercials. Yeah. Right now we live stream, there's not really any commercials, but like when we are watching stuff, like to always be, you know, kind of working on your craft, you'll find interesting things along the way. So there are very specific ways you can pinpoint Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. Yeah, okay. and people do that, so, yeah. I found mine through meditation. I just verified mine through a, a source of a person that I trust would know those things. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I sense. did it very particularly by not being like, this is what I think my dharma is. What do you think? I just did a session with them and let them talk. And then it verified that the thing that I was doing was right. And then I've also, I referred a bunch of other of my friends to go see this person after I had already done the work with them and they said the same thing over and over again. So I was like, okay, I got this thing down. I know how to do it now. It's like, yay. But you know, we don't ever walk into a yoga class and be like, hey, Will, you know, let's sit down and meditate and talk about our dharma, <laughs> you know? 
So I I I get you. Like um, just just a little bit of sharing. So I I sort of found what my dharma is through meditation, but I never knew how to validate it. So um, that is one one of the part that I find really interesting. How can we differentiate between what is our true dharma versus um, what our ego is trying to tell us or what we perceive might be our dharma, right? Or sometimes we question um, because we are unsure or yeah, we are not sure. conscious yeah. enough, right? So Yeah, and that, and that happens all the time. That yeah. happens even when you have it like pinpointed is that there's still questioning. I mean, yeah. as a human being, you're there to question. You question even in your childhood, you test yeah. To see how it like you know you're looking for um, potentially resilience um, steadiness within yourself and also to see what you can rely upon so when we're talking about something conceptual you know which yoga is there's a lot of yoga that's conceptual um, and we can talk about it all day long like I have spirit you have spirit blah 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 but then when we're dealing with issues are you sitting and thinking like well my body and my mind is going through this struggle but my spirit has is un, it has remained unchanged mm-hmm. right so yeah. when that's really tied with dharma you'll see it that way as well that's yeah. one way that you can personally validate is that through struggle strife and joy that that quality still exists the other way is there's a reason why it's called the guru sishya relationship, which is a disciple and a teacher, is that you create validation to the teacher. The teacher is someone that you can trust, and it's not someone that you idealize. It's like you see the way the person is living in the world, and you want to live in the world that way too. Not like the same way they're living, but for yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's how you find like a teacher that you can you know connect with. And they'll, they'll, they'll check with you in that way. They'll, yeah. they'll be able to hold you essentially accountable, yeah. right? So I have long-term student that I was talking to actually uh, last night. And, you know, we were talking about stuff. And, I mean, she's, uh, you know, very aware of where her dharma is and stuff. But every once in a while, we have a conversation. And it's about her, um, you know, kind of evolving this aspect of the dharma and keeping her back on, on track, right? And, and when you get into conversation like that, there's no yoga, there's no pranayama, there's no meditation, there's no asana, there's none of that stuff. It's just mental modifications. Mm-hmm. But it's also really hard to do that right away without establishing all the other things. Yeah. Right? You need to have asana and pranayama and, and all that stuff. So the question you're asking is great. It's a great question to throw it out that, you know, well, what if people could just focus on finding their dharma? Well, they can. You just have to work with the with a teacher that can do that. There's no um, short answer. Fill out this questionnaire and then you'll know your dharma. And, yeah. and just write it in pen. It will be permanent. You know, I don't like, think that's good. <laughs> you know. I, I find this, is a, this question to be really interesting because I usually ask this question for a lot of people. Um, who has been who have been practicing yoga for many years, and sometimes the answers surprise me. Most people don't know what their dharma is, um, yeah. um, or don't even want to know. Um, yeah, so I, I find this is very interesting. Very few people can tell me very straight to my face that this is my dharma. This I'm living my dharma, and I'm, like, yeah. I'm dedicated to it. So, but it's part. I mean, it's part of yoga. I mean, part of yoga is yeah, understanding exactly. your dharma. I mean, it's it's a, the yoga was you know predates Hinduism, but later on it was adapted into Hindu thought. And part of Hindu thought is to understand the dharma. Yeah, exactly. Is to understand you know, what what your purpose is and 
what sort of fills the, the finances, the energy of the soul, and, and, and also how to have joy in life. That's really yeah. important. A lot of yoga, yogis leave that out. You know, they yeah. think they should be living alone, be celibate, and get rid of all their things. But your body is here for enjoyment. Yeah. So yeah. one of the biggest thing that I find um, the biggest difference is once I found my dharma, I am constantly happy. So um, I think that was one of the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's like going to a job you don't like, right? I mean, you yeah. know, a job you don't like, and something happens at the job, you're like, oh, this, this is even worse than it was when everything's okay. But if you're kind of connected to something like a, a, a mission or like as a, a, even like an artist has a medium that they use, if you're connected to it, then even the struggles show you, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the joys and the struggles mm -hmm. show you that you're moving in the right direction because mm -hmm. you continue to use that as mm -hmm. your vehicle. It's still yeah. your vehicle. And sometimes it might be straight up bartering, you know, with yourself in your mind. You might be like, you know, this sucks. Like, I'm not going to help any more people out anymore. But ultimately, like in your consciousness, you start to like find like, well, I don't really have a choice because, you know, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. This is how I show up. If I show up in conversations with the not need to take care of or help people, but that I have the ability to see them clearly and, you know, offer assistance, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so I think you have to get out of that because that could easily, if you're hearing me the wrong way, you could hear it as being a caretaker and that's not what I'm no, saying. No, no, I don't, I don't think it that so, way. Yeah. 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 So I think we're like about um, three minutes to close okay. the meeting before the video gets cut off. So uh, maybe just share with like people who are here or uh, when I upload this to my podcast later, um, where people can find you, what's your next, um, where can people find you, what's your next thing you're going to be doing, um, maybe share your sadhanas if people want to join, um, but you have sure. two minutes. <laughs> yeah. So in short, I mean, I, I do usually put, I mean, the only social media I'm usually on is Instagram. So it's just easy to find me there. Mm -hmm. I do post on there. If you look on my, um, you know, bio link, you'll see my schedule and it shows mm -hmm. all my things. But overall, like I'm a yoga educator. So I work with people more, you know, one-to-one. Mm -hmm. -one, and um, I do a free class every single Saturday, uh, Sunday morning in Malaysia at 7.30 a.m which is kind of early for a lot of Malaysians, but you know, it, it allows us to also practice with people who are in New York and LA and from other uh, parts of the world, which is really nice. Um, that's always free. You can just you know, follow the links, like I said, and you'll see it there. Um, and everything else is usually on my schedule, but um, yeah, I'm around. <laughs> All right, uh, we have one minute remaining. So thank you, Will, for doing this. I hope those who are um, who tuned in um, truly benefit from listening to our conversation and if not if you would like to listen to the whole conversation again to repeat because some of the things are pretty deep you can always do so um, in the next 24 hours i'll be um, uploading this towards um, a spotify podcast a spotify podcast and also uh, on the on my channel um, those of you who want to practice with real please Go on and sign up with uh, Will. Everything is in his IG account. It's Will Dupree, right? W-I-L-L-D-U-P-R-E-Y. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. So see you guys, and please stay safe. Thank you Thanks for Thanks, Will, for doing this. It. Namaste. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. All right, bye, people.